Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Just like building a high-performance vehicle, crafting a solid retirement plan requires precise calculations and a clear destination. I'm Patrice Sikora with your host, Jim Cruzan, and in today's episode, We'll explore the question that often keeps people awake at night, probably you too. How much money do I need to save to retire? Jim, I know I've thought about that too, but what's the first step in figuring out just how much money you do need? Great question. Kind of a difficult question too, because a lot of people just hampen upon retirement. It's I feel like it's the age I should retire, buddies are retiring. They made an offer. So we, we go through this process without really taking a step back and thinking about that. So for me, I think the first step, if I were advising a client, is way before uh, retirement time to kind of stay, take a step back and, and do some visioning, kind of vision what this thing called retirement is going to look like. I mean, essentially, for most of us, it's a, it's a, a third of our life. It's the, I wouldn't necessarily say the, the last third. It might be the most important third. It might be a really fun third. But it's a it's a good deal of of time. So what does that time look like? How are we going to spend that time? When uh, are we hoping to be able to retire? You know, what do we plan on doing in retirement? What does mm-hmm. a typical day look like? Where do we want to do it? You know, we're here in the Midwest, and uh, there's a kind of a trend where a, a lot of folks spend the the winters elsewhere for obvious reasons. <laughs> so is the idea you want to now in retirement? maintain a a second household, a a second place. Uh, There's certainly additional expenses involved in that. In addition to where, with whom? Uh, Do you plan on retiring you and your spouse and going off into retirement and merriment? Or is the idea, hey, we've got a a, a group of friends that we would like to uh, uh, travel with and and that may be an entirely different and perhaps more expensive retirement than just the two of you doing your own thing. Or just how active do we want to be with children, um, adult children, and and more importantly, our grandchildren? Do, do we want to and do we envision a retirement where we would do on a regular basis large uh, family vacations or trips? And, and what would that look like as well? I think that it's important to to get some idea and and talk to spouse about her or his ideas and visions as well, and then you can get somewhat of a, a baseline. For us, we we kind of look at things uh, in in a number of different ways as as somewhat triangles, and uh, uh, in this case, it's it's very much the same. It's a a pyramid or a, a triangle. Uh, you think of retirement and what you need to live on as needs, wants, and wishes. 
uh, needs are our bills. You know, mm-hmm. we have a certain amount of requirement coming in the door because we have a certain amount of expected outgo going out the door. And and to a large degree, these are the same for everyone. We have housing expenses. For some, it might be a single place. It might be multiple residences. Uh, we have healthcare costs. We we can't avoid that. We We have grocery costs. We have other things that may have at one point or another been considered a luxury, which by today's standards are now kind of a baseline need. So we need to understand what that looks like, but we can't stop there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, as we'll discuss in the, the next episode on common mistakes, people tend to stop there. They kind of think of, well, this is what I need. These are my bills, but that's not really much of a retirement, is it? You know, if all we're doing for the next third of our life is being ready to pay bills as they come up and cover our vendors or our service providers, that's not the fun stuff. That's not the stuff we brag about. That's not the stuff that we get excited about planning for. It's the next level, the the, the wants, uh, which which cover a lot of the discretionary spending. It's the the fun stuff. It's travel. It's money for dining out. It's a lot of these miscellaneous expenditures, which punctuate or define one's retirement. When I'm talking to friends and colleagues and family members, and we talk about retirement or retirement expectations or folks who are currently retired talking about experiences, we don't talk about the bills we pay or the amount of money we need coming in to cover such bills. We talk about uh, the trip to Disney World or spending a, a month up at the cottage or being able to travel and, and visit uh, with family members. We talk about those types of things, the bucket list things we want to accomplish in retirement are not needs, they're generally wants. So when we consider how much money we need to live on, it's generally more than just paying bills. It includes a lot of these wants. And then for some clients, I wouldn't say all, and certainly not the majority, there's another level of expenditure that we might see on top of needs and wants. Now, one can have a perfectly fine and wonderful retirement with needs and wants being covered. But this third level is what we would call wishes. And and wishes are, well, the way I would refer to wishes is there things you'd like to accomplish in retirement that would in some way, shape, or form make the world a better place for you being in it. It's not necessarily an experience that you and your wife or you and your family are going to have. It may very well be some legacy issue that you want to leave behind. So things like large charitable contributions, large personal aspirations. It might be as simple as, hey, if we have the ability, it sure would be great if we could help our children better prepare our grandchildren for a college education by putting some other money away 
for them. It might not be something that my wife and I plan on spending. It's not an experience we will have, but it's money there that will help that next generation provide for their next generation, which is in some cases vastly impactful. So those are the issues that we really need to get some degree of control and, and on and be able to identify. Beyond that, we need to also consider that we don't necessarily need to replace our salary. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I make 120000 a year and uh, I want to retire on kind of the same lifestyle I have today. So as a result, do the math and I need 120000 a year of income. So as an example, you know, many of our clients are in the mobility technology niche. They're engineers, scientists, managers, executives who work within that space and have built their retirement bucket over many, many decades of working and participating in, in programs. So when we look at their salary, in many cases, what they really have to spend, the money that actually comes into the household, which is there in the checking account that provides their lifestyle, is much, much less than what their salary really is, right? Because the, the the salary, and then you take out taxes, and you take out what they're participating in in terms of funding, four hundred one k, etc. You know, you would not be unreasonable to see an individual who might have a salary of a hundred and twenty thousand a year, but their lifestyle is being propelled by sixty thousand dollars a year of cash flow because mm-hmm. that's really what's going in. So. When we look at what we need to retire on, the better number isn't the gross of what we make, but rather the net of what amount of cash flow do we really need to drive the needs, wants, and wishes that we hope to be able to uh, participate and enjoy in retirement. You know, while you were speaking, the, the needs, wants, and wishes kind of translated themselves in my head to bills, brags, and bequests. You know, exactly. You, you got to pay. I, I like that. Brag about what you did, and then you want to give. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. So, so how do we, well, how do you suggest that listeners go about looking at their their expenses? Let's let's start with that. I mean, I, you made a great, I, great point there. Your salary, you don't see it. You don't see the whole thing. How much goes to taxes? So what are you really living on? How do you identify what you're spending. Yeah, there's there's a couple ways to do this. And um, there, there obviously are, are applications uh, that are out there. A lot of our clients are engineers, so they tend to be uh, adopters in that space. Uh, uh, Quicken uh, has, a, has a really good tool. We're not endorsing any application, but there are tools that are available that can help with that. There are other things that can be done too. Uh, just simply taking a look at one's credit card uh, statements and and uh, check uh, checking register and look at a a reasonable period of time 3 months 6 months and then just kind of annualizing that uh, that would give you a pretty good sense on what uh, you spend and and where you spend it another way of doing it as well which is actually it, it ends at the same point it it gives us essentially the same kind of number that might be just simply a little bit easier 
is to, as I said before, just kind of look at, hey, what what actually hits the checking account every month? What what comes into the account uh, from my employer? And then uh, we need to take a step back and make some adjustments to that because what you are spending now may or may not be the same as what you spend in retirement. And because and we're talking about decades, yeah. and, and potentially decades away from retiring, it's really difficult to start to project what inflation may or may not look like. So uh, what we do is we do a lot of our planning in terms of real dollars in today's dollar valuation. And then as we're using uh, software to kind of predict what this looks like in the future, uh, we build in uh, some sort of an inflation rate. So we're inflating out what those expenses would look like somewhere down the road. The typical number that that we use is is about three and a half percent per year. Obviously, uh, as we're recording this now, uh, inflation is tracking certainly quite a bit higher than that, and has for the last uh, two years. But the decade or so before that, it was it was sub two percent. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you looked at the last fifty or so years, which is usually a period of time well beyond the scope of a normal retirement. And if you looked at a, a really true number, Social Security, and say, okay, what has Social Security on average bumped their Social Security participants' income? And that number over the last 50 years, including a very difficult decade of the 70s, right. has been approximately 3.5%. So considering all the ebbs and flows and ups and downs that we've had in terms of the economy and markets over the last 50 years, uh, one can only assume that we'll see probably every bit as much of the same going forward. So that's probably a, uh, a pretty good start. The other thing that we need to do once we sort of get that baseline, whether we're doing it because we're collecting our expenses through an app or we're annualizing credit card receipts and check registers, or we're simply looking at what we have coming in the door, we we need to also take into consideration big adjustments that we may see. As an example, if we're still many years away from retirement and you have children in the house, uh, I don't think I have to tell you that they tend to be quite expensive. (laughs) And uh, the hope is that they all leave the nest and go on to pursue careers and become uh, contributors to society as well. So there is a component of this money that comes in the checking account every month, which is what I would call kid-related, whether that's direct university payments or it's all the money you spend for all of the extracurricular activities or clothing or pediatrician visits and all that stuff that you really shouldn't have in retirement. So maybe that would uh, cause for an adjustment down. So if you're making 120,000 a year and you've got 60,000 a year coming in the door, the two of you could probably live the same lifestyle you're living today and actually less than 60, because there's a certain amount of that that's going off to kid stuff, right? Um, depending on your position with your employer, you might have 
non-salaried perks today that you're clearly not going to have in retirement that might require a positive adjustment, meaning increasing the amount of monthly income that you need coming in the door. A great example of that is a, a, a company car. If you're driving a company car or you're receiving a monthly allowance to support car travel, um, unfortunately, that stops when your employment stops. And uh, unless you can live on a single vehicle, more than likely, you're going to have to bear the brunt of a car payment, gasoline, insurance, taxes, and the lot. So that can be as much as a a thousand to fifteen hundred dollar a month of additional expenditures, and then uh, we need to look at lifestyle adjustments. If today a lot of your time is being spent driving to and from work, maybe gasoline costs; those things might go down, but travel may go up because you have now more discretionary income. And an item on uh, regarding travel. When we bring the subject up and talk to clients about expected travel, we get a lot of different varying answers. And in some cases, we will have people who are embracing the idea of international travel. Uh, they want to do the river cruises and they, they, they want to visit Rome and whatever that bucket list thing looks like. And then we'll have others who say, well, you know, we, we like to kind of stay at home and we really don't plan on doing a lot of travel. But then as you continue in the, the course of exchange, you, you find out, well, you know, they've got four children and they've got seven grandchildren and nobody lives here near mom and dad. And they're all elsewhere throughout the United States. Some may be a little bit closer, some quite far away. And you realize that they are impassioned to be part of their grandchildren's lives. Well, you can do that only so far on Zoom. You've got to put FaceTime in. And then you start talking about what that looks like. When you visit, do you stay at their home? Do you stay at a hotel? How long do you generally visit with them on any one given trip? If you were retired, would there be more of those kinds of trips or less? And then you realize, my goodness, there is probably ten to $15,000 at least of domestic travel that needs to be accounted for just to make sure you're being part of your grandchildren's lives. And that's some concept that a lot of folks, when they're visioning retirement, just skip. Oh, no, we're, we're not travelers. We really don't do a lot of that. So there's, there's those adjustments that need to be made. So then once you get to a point where you have a better understanding in today's dollars of what you need, what considering everything, what those needs, wants, and wishes look like, you can then start looking at uh, the, the resources you have and what, what income sources will we have down the road uh, that will help to offset or accomplish and cover uh, some of those things. And, and then it's all about finding those gaps and, and what resources do we have 
or what resources do we have to create right. uh, that will ultimately fill uh, those gaps? Another, just uh, coming to mind, uh, another expense that, and, and we'll talk about this uh, a bit further in, in the next episode, that people sometimes have some difficulty in getting their hands around is this whole healthcare cost. That concept. was going to be my next question. Yeah. Healthcare as you age is obviously going to play a bigger role. It's a, uh, it, 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 it's a huge component to uh, individual spending. And it's also one of those things to a large degree, if you work for a large corporation, you somewhat take for granted. Uh, you might contribute per pay toward the cost, but clearly in most cases, you're not bearing the brunt of the full cost of healthcare. And when we look at healthcare costs, they, they are quite significant and they are even more so more expensive if you plan on retiring out early because there are now bridges and gaps, you know, for most of us post retirement at 65, our primary health care is some Medicare derivative. It's Medicare with a supplement, it's Medicare Advantage, but it's the government health care program. And we migrate to that at age 65. But if you're retiring early or you have a spouse who is less than age 65, then we're dealing with, well, do I get my coverage as a COBRA and extend the coverage that my employer had for me? What will those costs look like? Because now I'm bearing the full brunt of that. Uh, do I have to go into a public or private marketplace and, and shop out individual policies? Do we have to do that for both of us? Do we have to do that for just one of us? Because one of us may migrate to Medicare before the other. And those expenses can be significant. Instead of a a thousand dollars a month, uh, uh, or fifteen hundred a month for a couple, uh, it might be twenty five hundred dollars a month, depending on what you're paying in the private marketplace or paying to extend Cobra. So it's important to to look at that and and also look at it as it relates to for how long a period of time. It now, might only you're... be three, four, five years, but right. it can really add up. Which brings me to this question about projecting healthcare costs in retirement too. What factor or factors should you really think about there? Yeah, historically, healthcare costs have generally grown or inflated out at a rate that's typically higher than uh, the U.S. CPI. What we generally do is we generally run a a bit hotter. Uh, projection for healthcare costs than we would the broad-based economy. So if we're thinking 3.5% overall inflation, uh, we might be looking at 4% or something to that effect uh, with healthcare. There was a study done recently by Fidelity where they took a look at what is the projected post-retirement cost for a retired couple starting at age 65. Hmm. Obviously, if you retired earlier than 65, the cost would be significantly greater because of the issues that I mentioned before regarding COBRA, et cetera. So these costs would be what would be generally the expected out-of-pocket cost in retirement that you'll be faced with between now, let's say 65, and end of plan, which is, which is death. And uh, they're basing this on life expectancy, males, about 83 
females 86. So you'd have to take a, a step back and kind of look at your own genetic pool and your own habits and say, well, you know, I, I, I've always had good health care. I've always taken care of myself. I've gone regularly to physicians, et cetera. And maybe I'll live longer than that. You know, my, my mom sadly passed at 59 and a half. My, my dad lived to nearly 95. So, you know, there's a big gap there. And, and if I was planning on retiring and living to 83 uh, and I wind up living to 97, there's a whole lot of additional healthcare costs, retirement expenditures, et cetera. So in this fidelity study, they generally looked at age 65 until age 83, 86, you know, that, that typical period. And for a couple, the, the cost is uh, $315,000. That is the expected average cost. Now, <clears throat> what that means is that's, that's total cost function. So about 17% of that is, is, uh, generic and, and branded uh, drugs and specialty items. Nearly 30% of it covers the direct premium cost for Medicare. Just as a, a quick study, everybody gets Medicare Part A, uh, which is basically hospitalization and such. That's free. I mean, you've already paid for it through payroll taxes. Part B is physician cost, et cetera. Uh, you pay for that. And then Part D is generally the prescription rider for Medicare. So this would cover the, the B and D premiums. Uh, right now, those premiums are about $164 or so, typically for Part B and $36 and some change for Part D. That's also predicated on your retirement income. Uh, there are people that are paying for the very same benefit two, three, as much as four times that amount, depending on post-retirement income. And then and then the, the biggest section, 44% uh, of that expenditure covers all the co-payments, the, the co-insurances, the deductibles, all those things that are often referred to as a, uh, as a donut hole. So it's an, in, in, important to kind of consider and build on that as well, because when we think of one's accumulated wealth going into retirement, you know, a good third of that yeah. for many folks may be what we would need to simply cover medical cost alone. All right, let's unfortunately move on <laughs> to something that's got to be just as depressing. What about looking at your income sources? How do you evaluate those? Yeah, so it's the income sources that are going to defray some of this expenditure, right? So what we need to do is we need to look at all those resources today, both in terms of what the benefit will look like, but we need to project out what that benefit will be in the future. And the same thing with accumulated wealth. Obviously, what you have accumulated today is, uh, is meaningful. But we know that with additional contributions and, and savings and, and, and some degree of expected long-term growth, we would expect those buckets to be higher down the road. So we need to look at, uh, are there shortfalls? You know, If we look at what we need to live on, inflation adjusted, 
60,000 a year today, might be more like 100,000 a year, 15 years from now. What will we have coming in the door? Well, Social Security says I'll have 42,000. Okay, well, that's 42,000 now that we can apply toward that 100,000. And what else do we have? Oh, well, I've got a little uh, pension uh, that'll give me $1,200 a month. Okay, great. That's $14,400. And we can knock that off. And then, and then what is still the shortfall? And that's where uh, accumulated wealth, savings, investment plugs that hole. And do we have enough to cover that hole, which is, by the way, an inflated hole going forward? Or do we need to effectively save more? A good rule of thumb these days is generally for uh, individuals to to save probably close to 15% of salary. I would recommend more just to be safe. I've never had a client say in retirement, boy, I wish I didn't save as much. (laughs) Um, So uh, give the old adage, give till it hurts. It certainly works in this case. But when you start looking at retirement planning and you look at this theoretically, the, the rule of thumb generally is the expectation is some employee is going to start saving to the tune of 15% of salary uh, starting at about age 25. If you're an academic and uh, you finally get around to having a career or for that matter, a physician, and you're in your early 30s, recognize the fact that you're as much as six to eight years behind already, which is huge and uh, will more than likely result in a loss of a double of assets at some point in time down the road. There are a couple of really, really good rules of thumb. And again, I would look at these as, as minimums. As I said, one rule of thumb is, is saving 15% of salary or more. I can remember when I started my career, when the vast majority of employees were still covered by pension plans, those numbers have changed quite a bit here over the last several decades. When we considered that, uh, the uh, rule was kind of 10%. Hey, it's a 10% rule. If you save 10% of your salary, you should be fine because you have all these other resources. Now, four decades later, we don't have quite as many of those resources available. So it puts more pressure, greater burden on ourselves. So that number now is at least 15%. Um, Some who look at that number will say, uh, well, that also includes employer matching. So if uh, the idea is that the company is giving me dollar for dollar match on the first four or 6% of my salary, uh, well, then if to get to that 15% number, maybe I need to save 11% and then I'm getting four from my employer. In our practice, we prefer to look at that 15% as being employee contributed and anything from the employer um, would be above and beyond that because you can control the amount that you put away yourself. You have no control over what the employer will or won't do in the future. So you don't want to be halfway through your accumulation phase and find out that the game has been changed and your employer is contributing less. So you really should have contributed more prior to that point because you're getting less going forward. So um, that's a, that's a good rule. 
there's also another rule which gives you an idea as to how you're kind of benchmarking in terms of savings. And one that I've seen, and, and there are many investment firms that have something similar, uh, and it goes something like this. Um, by the time you get to age 30, you should have already accumulated somewhere, 401k, investment account, wherever, uh, something that would be equivalent to about uh, one times salary. So if you're making at age 30, 100 grand a year, you should have 100 grand accumulated somewhere. By the time you get to 40, it's about three times. By the time you get to 50, it's about six times salary. By the time you get to 60, it's eight times. And again, the premise here is people are not retiring until 67 or, or, or later. By the time you get to 65, it's 11 times about 13 to 15 times by the time you get to age 65. Now, if you don't have that, that means that you either have to delay retirement, find some ways of saving more, or look at adjusting somewhat the amount of cash flow you need to support your lifestyle. So some of those needs, wants, and wishes might need to be adjusted downward. This assumes you retire later in your mid sixties. If the idea was, Hey, I've got 30 years in and I'm 55. Mm. That doesn't mean that six, seven times salary will do it. You need even more than 13 and a half times. Cause you you're retiring a full decade earlier. You've got another 10 plus years that you have to self-support as opposed to drawing a salary or income. So it might be 20 times uh, at that point uh, or, or more. Again, the rule we uses give till it hurts. Uh, You can never go wrong by having more than you need. Uh, We like to build big margins for error. Uh, And one way of doing that is to comfortably have more uh, than you need to have. Right. It really sounds like you need a professional to help you do this, Jim, to keep you on track. There's so many variables and so many things change. I I would totally agree. Uh, It does sound a bit self-serving, but in in the 40 years of experience that I have, I've seen a lot of mistakes made. And and a lot of those are just based on some false thinking or not being aware of the things you don't know. That's just it. You, You have not lived those years before. You've not retired before. You don't know what you don't know. That's it. Exactly. And then the other thing is you you need to be flexible because nothing happens exactly according to plan. You're absolutely right. Uh, In in, in our practice, we have had serious conversation and executed and or executed successful retirements thousands of times, thousands of people. And that's just because of longevity and the fact that we have several advisors who who work here and and uh, are constantly in conversation with folks at every single stage of this retirement process. And as a result, uh, we've retired out, as I said, thousands. And when you are faced with this alone, you got one shot at it. Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't care whether it's changing a tire changing a faucet, writing a letter, you're much better at it when you've done it a thousand times than the very first time you try it. 
And, and as a result, uh, we, we would hope that that translates into a better experience and, and ultimately a bigger, bolder retirement. Well, that is a wrap on this episode of The Retirement Engineer. Today, we explored the question of how much money you need to retire. We emphasize the importance of distinguishing between needs, wants, and wishes. We shared valuable insights on how to estimate your retirement expenses and income, and why professional guidance can help ease the fear of running out of money in retirement. Just like a well-maintained car offers a smoother ride, a well-calculated retirement plan can pave the way for a more secure and fulfilling future. Be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments and please share topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.